Welcome back to the What the Folk Sunderland preview show. Sunderland got back to winning ways against Norwich City last weekend and will be looking to double up as we head to Wales to face a slowly improving Swansea City. And as always, we're here to preview the game this weekend and to make his What the Folk hat-trick is Luke from the always excellent Swans cast. Uh, Luke, how are you doing, mate? Hat-trick? Happy hat-trick day. Oh, thank you. Uh, I took the match ball home with me, hopefully. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing great, thanks. Good. Nice to hear, mate. Um, We'll get straight to it. Swansea, I think it's five wins in your last seven, unless my mass is terrible. Pretty solid reading. Um, yeah. How's the mood down in South Wales? Um, it's definitely significantly better than if you asked me before that seven-game sample that you've just taken, uh, because that includes our first win, which was against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, we did... You could. It depends. I guess you could pick a sample for your agenda. Uh, five wins in seven, but one win in three. So that win against Blackburn, which we got uh, in the last match round, is important because the two losses previous, one was against Leicester, you kind of let that slide, but we lost our home to Watford afterwards, which some fans were disgruntled about the performance. It was like, okay, have we actually improved or did we just get a bit of a, a couple of wins together? You know, where are we actually going? But winning away at Blackburn has suggested that we are on the right track. So onwards and upwards, hopefully, and Michael Duff has definitely turned what was a tricky start of the season around, I think, um, even though it's still early days. It's such a weird league. Like, I feel like between third, this is not correct maths, this is not true, but I feel like between third and 20th, there's only about two and a half points. <laughs> um, so I feel like you can fly up and down sort of thing. But before we go into like the league position, because I honestly thought as I was writing these questions down, I thought you were still in the relegation zone, which tells you how tight the league is and how silly it is and how quickly it changes. But we'll go to your last game. You're such that one of at Blackburn. We won at Blackburn this year, 3-1, but I actually thought Blackburn were a really good team. Um, the I wouldn't say bad as first half, but they're one of the better outfits we've come up against. But clean sheet, always a good win on the road. How was the performance? Yeah, they they had spells. It was a bit of a weird one. I think the first 10, 15 minutes was all Blackburn and probably should have been ahead. They um, We weathered a bit of a storm right at the start of the match. But afterwards, we controlled the rest of the first half, which was a bit weird because it looked like it was going to be a tricky day, but then we took control, but we didn't score as much. You could say both teams weren't as clinical as they should have been in their spells of dominance. We got one goal, but we had two disallowed for offside uh, through Jamal Lowe. So in theory, we scored three by half time, just two of them didn't count. And then the second half, again, I think it started a bit more of a messy game, I would say. We had a few opportunities that we didn't take, but the longer the second half went on, as the home team, perhaps you'd expect Blackburn did come back at us a bit, but ultimately couldn't find the finishing uh, cutting edge to get a point out of it. So it was a good win away from home for us. Blackburn, definitely a good team. I think they're playing a lot different to what people might have expected of them from recent years. They're maybe more akin to what Swansea have been like recently in terms of the passing football they're trying to play. Maybe they just haven't found the striker solution yet yeah, they look more of a team goal uh, sort of the, the, the spread of the goals comes with the team and maybe that's what cost them against us but obviously we'll take away a good 1-0 uh, away from home performance there because I think they're going to be they're not going to have a bad season No I don't think so they look like they're missing um, Burton Diaz but I, I thought it was a good win for us away from home so you know vice versa I'm sure you'll feel exactly the same way but yeah 
There's a few talking points for Swansea. I think the first one I'll come to is a man that, I'll be honest with you, I can say it now that he's gone. I don't really like him as a boss. Um, Russell Martin left in the summer. Michael Duff comes in. But before we discuss the new man, which we'll, we'll get a little bit more in depth on with Michael Duff, because that's also really interesting. Let's kind of look at the departure of Russell Martin. It's not the first time he's walked out on a job mid-project and like sort of fell upwards somehow. Um, it's yeah. a so-called bigger club, but I think that's mainly because they've came out of the the Premier League recently. But how did the fans react to Russell Martin's departure, and, and how do you view him now that he's he's been gone? Um, I'd be interested to know your reasons for maybe disliking him, because as much as I, I might agree with you in some aspects is why, I, why I'd ask. I don't dislike him. He did a good job as Swansea boss and while he was here, I always backed him. But I think I could be quite transparent myself. I like to think I can look at what's going on. And I think he was quite clever in how he spoke in the media, the way that he made a connection with the fans. And when he left, I think it's made it quite hard for Michael Duff to take over from because of a lot of these things... He was very good at playing the victim in regards to ongoings with our board. Like there's been issues with our board since before we got relegated from the Premier League that ultimately led to a relegation. And that's a long story. I'm not going to go into it. We've got American owners. It didn't really go the best since they took over, um, but also could have gone far worse. Okay. So, you know, devil's advocate. But a lot of our fans are not happy with the amount of money that's been spent since we got relegated under this ownership. Um, he didn't, Russell Martin didn't get backed in January, which is kind of where him leaving really stems from, I believe. Uh, Oberfemi left, didn't get replaced. They recalled Morgan Whitaker, who wasn't used correctly by, I will say, Russell Martin. That's on him. You can see what he's doing at Plymouth now, a missed opportunity. You know, the board saw it as he's an asset doing well in a club. We've sent him on loan, so we'll recall him to solve the striker problem. They did try and sign, but didn't sign anyone. Probably should have done better, I would admit that. But Russell Martin didn't get what he wanted, threw his toys out of the pram a little bit, played the victim card very well. And we went on a really bad run at that time of year last season. And he's probably lucky he didn't get sacked, I'll be honest. It was something ridiculous, like three or four wins in 24 games in the championship, which is an awful run of form. Um, and ultimately he ended the season then with seven wins in nine and got himself a promotion, if you like, to to Southampton. But because he talked about a project, the bigger picture, we're building something. You mentioned he left halfway through this project. I think a lot of fans were on board with that and gave him the benefit of the doubt when it wasn't going so well to, to last a bit longer because he's doing things the right way. We're playing football the right way, the way we want to see it played. Um, and he built that really strong relationship with the fans. So when he left... It was like, oh, it's the board's fault. They should have backed him. You know, we should have tied him down to a contract sooner and all this stuff. Yeah, you could say part of it, maybe that is true, but I don't think either party is necessarily innocent in the way that it ended. And I think he was quite well at using that to make himself look better. So that's what I think about it all. I'm glad for the times, the good times that he had here, but ultimately I think he should have done a bit better last season specifically if he didn't go on that really torrid run and and he admitted his head dropped after he didn't get back in January and it took him about a month and a half to say to himself, look, sort it out because, you know, the seasons are finished. We have got opportunity here and we shot up the table in that last run of form and you think three points off the playoffs, you only needed to win one more game in that 24 match period of really bad form and your season could have been different. You could have been a Premier League manager now. Could have been. I'm not saying we should have or would have been, but that's on him. 
you know, he he had a wobble after not getting backed. And I think that's something he should have taken accountability for ultimately. It could have been better while he was here. And he is a young manager learning, but maybe the way he conducts himself sometimes is is more for personal gain. I think that's because we were obviously in League One when he was at um, MK Dons and, and we did numerous shows with the guys at the um the MK Dons podcast and then spoke to yourself last year and I don't know what Russell Martin's Southampton came off and obviously they're above us in the league at the moment and they're not a bad side but we batted them 5-0 and it was a lot of them just passing and passing and passing and I remember speaking to you last year and you were saying like sometimes you just make a stupid pass and concede a goal like out of nothing yeah but somehow despite the fact that he's never really gone anywhere and done realistically anything apart from occasional spells of good football, he keeps on falling upwards. Were you surprised that Southampton even approached him? Not really, because I think a lot of clubs, especially after relegation, will have a bit of a change or this style is not working. We want to play better. We want to do things the right way. I think Southampton had an influx of Man City higher-ups that maybe were interested in playing more like Man City, if you like the passing of football, look after it. And he's a manager that is that is the way he likes to play. You know, the possession stats of Southampton this year, of us last year, will tell you that is the priority. And people will say it's possession for the sake of it sometimes. And it can be. And I think that's the biggest change from Michael Duff, if we go into that later on. But that's what gets the heads turning you know he he will always say his shortcomings are due to the budget and backing that he's had and I guess a club like Southampton would have been like okay well we'll have that for you and if you're saying you can do it with that then here we go so now I guess he's got that opportunity but I would imagine they're expecting to go straight back up and it did look a bit not so good early on in the season but they are currently in the playoffs however significantly off the pace of Leicester who came down with them and Ipswich who came up from League One. So, I mean, they're in a battle. Whether they stay there or not is another question. They've got the resources and the squad to definitely should be there. They should be finishing there. They, you know, we we nearly got there and I would say the players that they've got available to him now are, are better. You know, they just come down from the Premier League as a whole. So I don't really think he's got any excuses to fail this year. What I, I find quite interesting because defence in his system is the biggest area of concern and it was under us stupid goals like you've just mentioned from nothing or getting caught in the transition they're the two main ways we conceded so our own fault or just not being able to get back in shape quick enough with a counter-attack opportunity but there are minus one goal difference sitting in fourth place that's got to be a concern for a longevity of a playoff push yeah I think so as well it's not a Russell Martin podcast but I've got my thoughts I've got my feelings on him um, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but Michael Duff's an interesting one because I don't know much about him, but he did well at where he was at previously. He got poached for a championship job for a reason. But I remember looking at, you know, you see championship pages and you, you see things and, you know, he came in, it felt like he was under like immediate pressure and it felt like because of the things he said in press conferences combined with results and it took ages to get the first win. But now you've gone on that good run looking at the forms and stuff, people seem like, you know, maybe he's turned the corner and so on and so forth. Can you sort of run listeners through the short story of, of Michael Duff at Swansea City, why he was immediately under pressure, the things he said in press conferences and why it seems the fans are standing behind him at the moment, if I'm reading that correctly. Yeah. So I think it's 
to caveat all of what I'm going to say, I think people sometimes online who are the loudest um, quite often are people who are more negative as well or can be like a lot of people will be quick to voice their concerns more than they will voice their praise when it's going well. So when it was going bad, you you saw it all is what is what I'm trying to say. So it was important as well. What I just said about Russell Martin's relationship with the fans. Very good. He's very good at making that at orchestrating that relationship, saying the right things in the press, in the media. You know, he would call the owners out when he thought it was necessary. And because there's a bit of tension between the fans and the ownership, the fans get on board with that. Yeah. So he's gone. People blame the board for maybe the situation that meant he went. It was a long drawn out saga for him going. I think it took over a month from when it was like linked to when it was confirmed. We got Duffin quite quick after Martin was announced to go in. I would imagine we were looking in the background knowing what was coming. There was a lot of legal disputes with Southampton about around the transfer. Um, I think there was a dispute about we had the clause in his contract that if he went to a Premier League club, we get certain compensation. They approached him while he was still in the Premier League, so we were expecting that. They're trying to say, well, we got relegated, so we want to not pay that. That's for the dispute was. As, as far as we're still ongoing. So that wasn't the best start to Michael Duff coming in with all that drama. Um, but he did come in. I spoke to a Barnsley fan, was um, told a lot of things about how he does there, what sort of football they play, how the season kind of progressed. Quite exciting, really. It sounded like maybe he would continue on from Russell Martin, shore up the defence and add a bit more directness to Swansea, a bit more threat on the counter and... We said passing for passing's sake previously, a little bit less of that, but still playing the Swansea way, if you like, where they will pass it, but they will be more threatening when when the opportunity arises. So, you know, that sounded good. Get off to the, the season started and uh, a couple of decent results. I think we had a draw against Birmingham um, at home. I think we drew against Coventry. We, threw, we lost to West Brom 3-2 after going 3-0 down, so a bit of a comeback. So the signs were there. And all, all of a sudden, it was two games that really, really made things quite sour. And that was Bristol City at home, where I believe we lost 3-1. And Cardiff City, our big rivals, as I'm sure people are aware away, where we lost 2-0. And the comments in the media around this time as well, really stirred the pot up. So Bristol City game, they're kind of our second rivals to Cardiff okay? So they were back-to-back games, not an easy fixture list to deal with so early in the season. Um, the performance was really, really poor. There wasn't really a game plan. You couldn't see anything we were building as a team. You couldn't see what he was trying to do, the bigger picture. We just didn't look like we knew what we were doing. At the time, we were playing a five-at-the-back formation and the players looked a bit lost, really. There wasn't any... Not passion, but like drive or energy or any of that sort of stuff. Really bad performance. They could have batted us five, six goals, to be fair. Um, But we lost 3-1. After that, he kind of played the Cardiff game down, being the next game in the media. Now, that is like a big no-no around here. You know, it's the biggest match. A little bit of history around the match. No club had ever done the double on the other until recently. So I guess another string to Russell Martin's bow he was the first manager to ever do the double in that fixture in its history over 100 years or whatever it is first one to ever do a massive deal that was a massive deal and he didn't just do it the first time he did it the season after as well so back to back doubles when it had never been done once massive achievement 
four games in a row we've beaten them they haven't really put a laid a glove on us if you like you know it's been quite comfortable for us so we go into this game Michael Duff's playing it down really didn't sit well with the fans in the past it's always been the Cardiff manager doing that and they've always never really got off very well so we were a bit worried going into it had a really bad performance looked very lacklustre I don't think we had a shot on target until like right at the end where we had maybe one or two um, worst Derby performance I think most fans will say they've ever seen really wasn't a good time for Michael Duff at that moment and we were sitting in relegation as well so that's the the media comments coupled with the fact it was a derby and a poor performance couldn't see the direction didn't know what the game plan was all the stuff we promised from the Barnsley fans didn't see any of it on the pitch now going into the next match he did change the formation um, to a four at the back system against QPR and we got a draw they scored a late goal, which which cost us getting our first win. So it didn't quite turn the tide with the fan uh, negativity. But then we went on our four-match winning run, starting with a 3-0 victory against Sheffield Wednesday. Now, the longer that went on, the better it got, essentially, because at first it was, well, it's only Sheffield Wednesday. They're not doing very well. You should beat them. I think then we, I can't remember, we beat second, but we then beat Norwich and we beat Plymouth away. So the teams progressively got more tricky as we got the, the results. So, yeah, it's definitely turned around. He's turned a corner. I think he has been a bit naive in the press sometimes. He said a couple of other things as well, like after the formation change, you say, oh, the formation doesn't matter. It's just what I want him to do on the pitch. It doesn't matter about the formation. You know, play, playing things down, you're like, so probably don't need to be saying this sort of stuff. But I think the, the press are trying to trick him into things, knowing the reactions they're getting on, on social media. He's definitely getting better with it. Um, there has been comparisons with Russell Martin which haven't helped him. And I think he's tried to escape that with some of the comments as well. So one of the things he said was, you're not going to catch me fist pump in the air like we just won the World Cup um, after we win a game, you know. And that's what Russell Martin used to do after a win and rile the fans up. So it, I understand where he's coming from and I have a bit of sympathy because everyone loved Russell Martin for the way he's playing. Like I said, he developed that relationship and I think he was quite clever uh, putting himself out there in a certain way in the media. And I think that links to what you were saying about why maybe not quite sure of him as a manager. Um, and I think that's really made it difficult for Michael Duff. But he is coming out of that, I think, coming around the corner. And I do look forward to what else he can bring for the rest of the season. I know it was a bit long-winded, but um, a lot's happened in, what is it, two or three months since the uh, season started? Yeah, it seemed like that, and that, that's why I thought it was it was far from long winded. It was it was perfect because it just seems from the outside looking in, I'm like, well, is this guy liked or this guy hated? Do they hate us from what night left? And and that's kind of sort of summed yeah. up. And that gets us <clears> to the the players. Um, there was also a very big turnover with players in and out. You know, Joe Perot went for big money to Leeds. Um, Stephen Bander, Nicham, they they kind of went there's more than that as well. Ryan Manning obviously joined. Um, Russell Martin at Southampton, but you brought in yeah. Jerry Yates, uh, Janelli, Charlie Patino, Josh Tiemann, or Tyman, however you pronounce it. Yeah. Who's been the stand-up signing so far and who are you missing the most? Um, so I think Perot is the obvious one for to, to say who we're missing, but Manning equally um, has been a miss. And that's because we played a five of the back quite often last season and a lot of our creativity came from the wing-back areas. I say wing-back areas. We didn't really have any right-backs, so most of it came from the left and Manning was that source. So I want to say he had the most assists for us, nine or ten assists last season and probably one of the most for the championship as well, especially from a defender or classed as a defender. Um, 
and it's no surprise to see he's followed Russell Martin to Southampton. Russell Martin actually announced in like February or something that Manning wasn't going to sign a new contract. So question marks how um, planned out that might have been, but we will never know. However, um, that was a big hole to, to to fill. And you said Timon signed there. He's he's at the moment he's the one that's kind of starting starting to um, get some game time and some form under his belt. Also, Joe Perot up front. So he's the main source of goals. Two back-to-back 20-goal season. You know, that that's really hard to find in the championship unless you pay in. And I guess that's what Leeds had to pay for that. I would have liked a little bit more. I would have thought, that, you know, the, the stats, the goals there. And I think he's showing that Leeds as well, that he can score in a, in a bigger team as well. But he only had one year left on his deal. So it was, it was a catch-22 in terms of do we we risk holding on and getting less the only way we were ever going to have a chance of keeping him was promotion and that's a massive risk with the transition of a new manager and style and all the rest of it that's come this season so yeah he's gone Jerry it's come in I think he's got four goals so far this season he's been a bit hit and miss with the crowd and I think that's mainly because he's a different player to Perot and it's really harsh to compare them Perot was clinical really good with his left foot he can kind of score from anywhere um and he's good at kind of pulling defenders away. You don't notice it unless he's not on the pitch, but he will open up the spaces for other players because they're so focused on trying to stop Perot, knowing what he can do, you know, two, two 20 goal seasons. Yates doesn't necessarily do that, but he's hard working. He won't stop running. He'll hassle a defence. And that, that suits Michael Duff's press and more pressing approach to, to our defence as well, pressing from the front. Um, and he's the sort of striker that will pop up and score the goals by being in the right place at the right time. When a ball comes into the box, he pops up the back post and taps it in, that sort of thing. Or a little like someone's dinked it back over after a cross, crosses it back in and he's just there to finish it off, you know. It's not like a hell of a strike. It's literally like it hit any part of his body and go in. But that's how he seems to be picking up a few of his goals. People just want to see a bit more, I think, shooting from other areas and but they used to see it with Perot, so maybe he's just got some hard boots to fill. I'm sure in time we'll appreciate what he offers as a as a difference. I also think he works a bit better playing off another striker, but right now he is playing as a central lone man with two wingers, so maybe a little bit of an adjustment for him. Uh, Patino has also been impressive coming on loan from Arsenal. I think he's on four assists for the season already. Uh, he's only 19, I believe, so... He's got a big future ahead of him, I'm sure. Both of those two players I mentioned played in the championship at Blackpool last year. So they've got experience at this level. But Tino's biggest weakness is his fitness. He can't really do 90 minutes and he can't do two matches a week, full full matches. But he's definitely instrumental when he's on the pitch and we miss him when he's not there. But the unsung one, which you didn't mention, is Josh Key. I'm unsure if he's going to feature in this game because he's been injured for the last few matches. Um but on right back he, he's coming at and he's come from Exeter in League One and he's been a very good sign-in for the fee that we paid I think it's basically compensation at the end of contract and I would be shocked if he doesn't progress up the league or into the Premier League in the future he's, he's not quite there yet and I think when we played Leicester that shows that but he's definitely a bit of raw talent to the more he plays in the championship is is going to just keep getting better. Um, quite exciting player to have, really. We were um, linked to Josh Key ourselves, actually. I feel like it was about 
a season ago or last January maybe so yeah. yeah that's disappointing to hear that he's doing quite well uh, from my own perspective but um, I asked you this last que- last year and I know I asked you this question but I feel like I ask a lot of fan bases the same question but I think it's kind of the amount of like clubs that are former Premier League clubs or big clubs or new clubs in the league and and how tight the league is and, and how many teams end up just sitting in a position that's effectively nowhere but I've looked through you know, since you came down, I think you were you came down 2018. Uh you finished 10th, 6th, 4th, 15th, 10th, 15th, and there's been four managers in those six seasons. Not all of them have been sacked. We've just discussed before some of them have left for their own reasons, and there was Graham Potter in there as well. But where are Swansea as a club at the minute? Because I suppose when you look at those league positions and, and the managers you've had, whether it's been sacked or they've left and gone elsewhere, I suppose it can feel a bit like a bit of a melee because it's been mid-table yeah. for a number of seasons. I think the theme is, I mentioned the owners and the backing, and they all come in, they all say the things at the start, and this is for all three that have left so far, so Graham Potter, Steve Cooper, Michael Duff. I know the budget year is is not there. I know I've got to work with a tight budget. I know I've got to develop youth and that's what I'm willing to do. And then they get two years in or a year in for Graham Potter and they haven't been backed and now it's a problem. Uh, they've taken all from the youth, I guess, what they can. They just missed out or done as well as they think. And I think they know they can move on to a better opportunity at that stage because they've done quite well. Not quite so well that we got promoted or anything. But I guess... It's a tough job and doing well here seems to put managers in a good light. Stepping stone, I understand. Like I'm not not arguing the case, but it's just funny to hear how they all come in and say they know the criteria and they're well happy to, you know, do their job within that. But by the end, it's like, oh, well, I haven't had enough back in. And if I had this striker, you know, we would have been able to finish the job. But as you mentioned, the positions, Potter just missed out on the first year after we come down. He had to do a big reshuffle after you know, the Premier League players all left on the big wages. Steve Cooper, back-to-back seasons in the playoffs, got to say that's the most successful period. So as much as Russell Martin has been applauded for the way that he played down here, he did back-to-back out of the playoffs, following on directly from that. So that's what I would argue should have done a bit better, potentially. And I'd also argue he was more backed than what he claims that he is, which we've talked about in detail on our podcast. So Michael Duff coming in now, Look, we don't know how it's going to end. Um, it doesn't seem like very often you get a manager for longer than two seasons these days. Um, we are in a bit of no man's land, I think, in that mid-table championship realm now that a lot of teams probably seem to fall into. I think I saw a statistic not so long ago that we are actually one of the teams in the league that has been here the longest based on promotions and relegations that have happened since we've come down. There's a few ahead of us, of course, but a lot of change. And I would argue we probably that's where we are now. We're not parachute payments anymore. You know, a lot of our big talent has moved on. We are relying on our youth system to produce new talent and or to find a bargain from somewhere to develop and sell on for more. That's how the club keeps itself afloat. And I guess you've got to have that good season where everything clicks into place for for you for you to look up. Um I think if Duff is here for a prolonged period. There's no reason why he can't build into a position of um, challenging to progress up the league again. But some of our fans, I think, I don't know, maybe it's when you started supporting a club. We were in the Premier League for seven years. So I guess if you've only known that period of success, 
when you're sitting in 13th or earlier in the season when you were down in 20th, 21st, that's not good enough for Swansea, you know, because we, we've always been up there. We were in the Prem for all this time and we, we're falling backwards. We're slipping down the table. But ultimately, if you stretch 10 years previous to the Premier League, then we were in League Two. So are we really in a false position? I just think it's quite competitive these days, as you mentioned at the start. A lot of clubs, I would argue, would say the same thing. You probably could say the same yourself. So you belong in the Premier League. You were there for a prolonged period. I'm sure a lot of other fan bases are saying the same thing. So no one's entitled to be there. You've got to earn it. And I think fans don't really like to think that way, but that's ultimately what football is. And that's why you like to, it's a sport, isn't it? And you've got to, you've got to build on that success. And it's a challenge for the 24 teams in the league. And only three of them are going to be successful really by the end. Yeah. I feel like I could probably pinpoint about 15 fans that I'll speak to during the, the season preview show and about 15 of them would probably want to say, or there or thereabouts, yeah, we can go for the playoffs because we should be in the Premier League. Like it, it, that's how competitive the championship is. And yeah. there's only three that can go up. But, but um, how many of them clubs are going to say we should be in the Premier League? You can't all be. You can't yeah. all be one of them three teams. So, but does that mean you should sack your manager because you were one of yeah. the ones that missed out? Because that's what it feels like, you know. It, Someone called us out on our podcast the other day because we had four wins in 11 games. And half the league had four wins in 11 games. So I just questioned, so does that mean half the league should sack their manager because we've all had four wins in 11 games and that's not good enough, apparently. So sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, you're right. It, it's so cut and thrust. Like, I mean, Southampton, Middlesbrough both had horrendous runs of form. Stoke, I spoke to a Stoke fan a few weeks ago. Alex Neal on the verge of getting sacked. They're now on three wins and three against Leeds, Sun and the Middlesbrough. And I just think it's a really competitive league. And I think, Leicester and Ipswich look like they're flying away with it the playoffs is, is anyone's up down to about 19th I think but um, hopefully one of them is Sunderland but looking at Swansea we're one of those teams that actually did a double on us last year two really frustrating games one we went down to 10 men with Luka 9 it was a red card in hindsight and then the 2-1 defeat at um, Swansea but we did make the playoffs in the end it was a good season for us we've done alright this season as well um, back to winning ways on, on Saturday from the outside looking in, what have you made of something over the last sort of season and a half? So, I know it was a really successful year last year. I wasn't sure how that was going to translate into this year. And I know you mentioned, I wasn't sure if some of the Russell Martin uh, hate was going to come from their attempt to steal off your, your forward players, um, which they were trying to do by the end of the transfer window, weren't they, Southampton? And I did find it quite funny then when you went and battered them. Um but yeah, no, I'm not surprised to see you doing well. I think the history is there that you are perhaps a bigger club than, especially when you're in League One. And I know you've had all the documentary and been heavily publicised the downfall by as accidental as it probably was. And it probably ended up making good television. Um, I think it was only a matter of time before that came back. So you've got some exciting players for me Patrick Roberts obviously still there stands out I know you signed Bradley Dack I'd be interested to know what his injury situation is like are you actually managing to see a lot, a lot of him um, but ultimately I do feel like Sunderland is a team that I'm not looking forward to, to play in I wouldn't say it's a comfortable game for any team and yeah, I know you've maybe had a little bit of a poor run the last couple of games, but you were in the playoffs or there or thereabouts when you for the early part of the season. Um, I'd expect you to be challenging up there again. Um, 
like we beat you twice last year and yes you essentially finished ahead of us you know so <clears throat> i guess it says about all over the league where you just mentioned being competitive yeah. it's, it's tricky to sort of pinpoint who who is where i think basically the same thing as what you said i've said in our podcast last week actually that from probably about third or if you want to say if Leeds and Southampton do pull away, fifth down to 21st, it seems. Anyone could be anyone on a given week. It only takes a small run of form to shoot up the table or back down if it's the opposite. And we're all probably the same level. And it's just how it goes on the day and who's got the momentum and who's who's in good form is what is gonna is, is gonna decide it. That's what it seems to me, very competitive. And but I think Sunderland will definitely be one of the ones that are peaking above slightly. Hope so. Um, I look through. I've never asked this question, and I decided just to do it. So we've got two questions left. Ones, of course, predictions. But um, Keyson Young, Fabio Barini, Andy Melville, Danny Graham, um, and Colin <laughs> Pasco all played for Sunderland and Swansea. Most of them successfully. One of them not successfully at all. You can probably tell which one by the manner of the way I said his name. But who's your favourite ex-Swansea and Sunderland player, and why? So. Uh... It was Barini was on the list, wasn't he? Barini, I mean, Key, yeah, yeah. They've all, I would say, Barini, Key, and Danny Graham, all quite instrumental at different periods and a successful period. Um, it's probably between Barini and Graham for two different reasons. Barini was, he came on loan from Chelsea before he was kind of anyone I guess um, when we got promoted the season we got promoted he came in January that season we really struggled in to find a striker and he came in alone and kind of made that position his own there was a free kick that he scored against Norwich uh, in a style of Didier Drogba who obviously was at Chelsea at the time I think he learned the technique off and they were I think they went up the same year as us in one of the automatic positions and we had a really convincing 3-0 win over them and it was just such a good feeling around the club at the time and he was such a big part of that. Obviously played in the playoffs and the playoff final and one of them lone players that when he went he was a bit gutted and you wish he could have stayed a bit longer. Ultimately he wrote a letter to the club thanking for the support and all that stuff. So I want to come back, blah, blah, blah. Never happened and I think he scored against us in the half since as well and perhaps forgot about the letter when he did so. But yeah, really good and important part of that promotion Um season under Brendan Rogers. And that's probably one of my favorite seasons ultimately because it is, you know, we we only been to the Premier League since it's been that the one time in terms of winning promotion. Stayed there for a while. But it was such a massive deal for the club when it happened. I think everyone in our team is always going to be remembered so fondly. And obviously he was part of that. Danny Graham then, for similar reasons, was the striker that we signed then the year we went up. Um, I think he was one of the top goal scorers in the league of a promotion year. So we decided to go and get him. And he was instrumental in keeping us up. And we didn't just stay up. We stayed up quite comfortably against all odds because we were heavily backed to go down, like written off. Um, always do better as the underdogs. We did back in the day, you know, the Swansea way, we've risen up the leagues the right way. All of that, that was always talked about at the time, which is what the fans can't let go of. Another story, but I think that's partly why we're stuck where we are. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Danny Graham, very instrumental in in that success as well under Brendan Rogers. You know, he only really had a season and a half with us. Michael Loudrop came in the next year and Michu was the story. So he struggled to, you know, he slowly got face out the team before leaving. But he can't be forgotten for 
what he did in that first year as well to keep us in the league. I, I don't know what he would consider his best season, but he scored quite a few goals that year. I don't think he was the most prolific when he was in the Premier League, especially when he was at other teams. And I like to think when he was with us, he did have a good time of it and he was relatively clinical. Um, it would be interesting to, to hear what he would think of it. I mean, if that ever happens, but yeah, definitely an important player for us at that time. So those two players definitely stand out. Rubbish for us, Danny Graham. We paid five million for him and I wish we could have kept the receipts. Did you get him from us? I want to say maybe you did. Five million pounds. I th- did he not score against us though? I feel like no, he definitely he never, did when he was at Hull. He never scored for us. <laughs> he scored <laughs> one goal off his backside. He's not well remembered. And Fabio Barini's loan spell is remembered very, very well. We harked for him back. We did get him back. Didn't really work out. Um, so I'll go with Key because he was nice. I mean, um, Key won the League Cup with us, so he oh, had success too. Cultured, I think is the word. Um Final question. Now, I'm not too sure how I'm going to go with this one. Uh, I think I would take a draw, so I'm going to go with 1-1. I'm confident of it, but I don't really know what to expect of Swansea because you're not Russell Martin Swansea, but where are you going prediction-wise? I would like to ask before I before I um, answer my prediction, Are you? do you think your game plan would be likely to be more defensive or more attacking? No, we don't know how to defend. We'll just go. For, we'll just go for it. We're just young okay. team that goes attacking. Like not that we're bad defensively, but that's just the way we play. Okay, we struggle to break defensive teams down. So I'm a little bit. Mm-hmm. I guess depends how clinical you are, but maybe um, I'm going to go for a two-one Swansea win. We're at home. If we were at home and you said you were coming down to shut up shop, I'd be more worried. Based Watford game, for example, um, but we gave Leicester a good game. Uh, you know, you can't go toe to toe with Leicester, no one can in this league. No. But at least for 60 minutes, it looked like we could have done something. And yeah, I think there'll be space. We like it a bit of a high press. So if you are attacking and there's gaps and we're pressing and we can win it in dangerous areas, it kind of scoring goals that we used to concede all the time under Russell Martin from doing this high press. So hopefully we can get that back on track. I know there's no midweek game this week. So that should help us with some of the concerns we had at home to Watford. So yeah, we. I mean, I think it's important for Michael Duff to get a home win, so I think he needs to aim to win this game. So I'm going to go two one, uh, Swansea. Luke, thanks very much, mate. Thank you for having me again.